Hello, beautiful people. My guest today is Eric Bandholtz, and Eric is the creator of Beer Brand. Eric's this classic story of someone who was working at Merrill Lynch, decided to take advantage of the internet, take advantage of the new wave, and start putting content out in a site called Beer Brand. That site now ends up having over a million subscribers on their YouTube channel and has been a massive, massive success. And in this conversation, we spoke about building that company. We spoke about the disagreements you might fall into while having two additional people on your team, right? Eric started this company with two other people. And I really enjoyed how he talked about the disagreements that occurred and how they resolved those disagreements. And me and Eric also had a little bit of a disagreement as well over some topics. So if you're curious about that, stay tuned for this episode. I really enjoyed it because of the way Eric was able to give his truth and the way I was able to give my truth as well. So I'd be curious to hear what you think about this episode at Hey Danny Miranda on Twitter. Thank you as always for listening. And without further ado, this is Eric Bandholtz. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. Eric, thank you for coming on the podcast. I asked you to come on yesterday and you were the quickest appointment book I think I've had in 180 episodes. So thank you for being punctual. Thank you for wanting to do this right away. I really appreciate you coming on and I'm excited to dive into your story today. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I'm not one to sit around and wait for something if uh, it's good to go. Yeah, so do you think, let's start right there with your quick moving ability because like I said, a lot of people have come on this podcast. No one's booked within 12 hours or 16 hours of, of me asking them to come on. So has that been something that's been beneficial to your own business and your own success as a person, your ability to move quickly? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things for me is I tend to have or I try to have as much as possible an open schedule. So uh, I, I don't want a lot of things uh, planned ahead of time. I like to have the flexibility to be able to do the things that I want to do uh, when I want to do it. And if there's something that's open and uh, something that's open for you, you might as well just get it done with. So uh, the, the more you can do in a shorter period of time is kind of like a productivity hack, I guess. I don't know. So sometimes <laughs> I'm good about it and sometimes I'm not. You know, sometimes I've got a something in my inbox for a good like four or five months before I do something with it. So I, I want to uh, take any kind of credit for being any kind of productivity uh, professional by any means. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just impressed and I thought it was a cool gesture on your part. And what has your mind always been? I want to have an open schedule so I can focus on the things that matter to me so that I'm at this point in my life. When did you have that idea and I'm sure it wasn't always that way, but was it intentional that you created this life for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I've, I've had a vision for what I want to do 
for quite some time. I think, uh, you know, my core values and of course that my company's core values are freedom, hunger, and trust. And that word freedom has been a, a big driver for me uh, in all the things that I do, you know. So the, the, the very premise of having my own business gives me a lot more freedom than if I were to be working for somebody. And subsequently, like within a business, uh, you go through different roles in the early days in the startups when you when you're just getting off the ground and you have more time than money, you know, you're kind of wearing the hats. And then as the company grows, you're able to hire people to, to help the things that that you're not as talented at bringing value into. Um, so you'll be able to level up the business by bringing great customer experience people and great marketers and great operations people. And that allows you the, the freedom to move into a role. Now, as a entrepreneur and as a business person, you can go in whatever role you want. So if you like operations, you can go that direction. If you like vision, you can go that direction. Um, if you want to hire above you and just kind of stay like within your role, whatever that may be, like working on the things and in production, you can do that as well. So that's the beauty of having a business is you have that freedom to, to decide what kind of things you want to be doing within your company and then build a team around you. And one of the things that I've always felt like my skill set is, is going to be in vision and being able to see the future and kind of make those big decisions um, that will help guide the business in the right direction. There's a great quote from Mike Maples who said something like the greatest entrepreneurs are time travelers and they're from the future and they bring their vision of the future into present day. Has that held true from your perspective as well? And what has your role in being in the future? Six years ago, you were on Shark Tank and it was some, they didn't believe that the future would be what it currently is according to a recent a tweet of yours. So I'm curious if, if that is held true. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like uh, it's pretty easy for me to grasp where uh, the world is going or direction. I'm able to kind of like pick out trends. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly observant. I can uh, kind of notice what's going on and get a, like a general feel for, for movements within society. And, uh, you know, we, we launched Beard Brand. It'll be 10 years in February that we launched. And uh, I just, uh, I saw this movement for guys um, in environments that traditionally didn't have facial hair, starting to wear facial hair. And uh, that would be like lawyers, doctors, entrepreneurs, business people, salespeople, you know, marketers, kind of like your traditional white collar jobs. And rather than being the guy to, to kind of wait to unite the community, I, I just set out to do that. And I got, in those early days, I got a lot of, you know, blowback, like, you know, who's going to wear beards or like, who's going to put products in their beards. And, um, you know, like they just, they didn't get the vision. Uh, of course, they didn't have a beard. They didn't use the products, so they didn't know uh, how great it was. Uh, and they didn't read the, the content we produced or watch the videos we produce either. So um, in the early days, I think uh, of building a business, you, you've really got this chip on your shoulder to prove everybody wrong and to to be competitive and to, to win and to take over. And, and, uh, I don't know if that's true for everyone, but that, that was kind of my case in the early days. And then I don't know if like the testosterone levels drop as I got older or whatever it is, I've, I've kind of gone with like a more Zen approach to it and just, uh, trying to enjoy the journey as much as possible and, and recognizing that, 
you know, in, in 40 or 50 years, I'm going to be dead. And no, in 100 years, no one's going to remember who the heck I was anyway. So if I'm not enjoying the journey, then, you know, what am I doing this for? Uh, so just really trying to really get back to the, like the original question is like, I want to enjoy the journey. So I want to enjoy the things I'm doing now. And personally, I don't like having a book schedule. Uh, I know I've got friends who love it. Like they, they're very type A. They've got to know exactly what they're doing at this time, this time, this time. But for me, like that un unstructured time allows me more creative freedom, allows my brain to wander, allows me to kind of explore and go down rabbit holes that give me exposure to, to things that I might not have gotten if I'm just like this, 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 and this. What was the last creative idea that you got as a result of having an open schedule? God, man, I, I don't know. Like every idea is just kind of floating. I, I was, um, what was I thinking about? I went on a walk yesterday and, uh, God, I don't even remember what the idea was. Oh, it was my tweet. So I was just walking down so I can pull it up on Twitter real quick and see what my tweet was. But I was just walking and letting my brain like go listening to music. And, uh, I said, um, Seek out the hobbies that help you level up in life, uh, which I think is the reason why you reached out to me, right? Exactly. <laughs> so there you go. You know, it's like uh, the whole purpose of or the whole result of that is ending up on this podcast. And it was just like, a, you know, like a, just lost in my thoughts on that, on that walk with nothing going on. So to flesh out that tweet for you, you said, seek out hobbies that help you level up in life. Examples, fitness, healthy cooking, investing programming, business, and self-improvement. What in particular do you believe has sparked the most improvement in your own life out of those, those hobbies that you mentioned? Yeah. So I've always, I think I'm, I'm fortunate in that my inherent personality type is one to, to want to learn and to want to understand. So I'm constantly just trying to figure things out. I remember uh, I used to be a sales rep at a printing company, and one of my favorite things to do was was go to my clients' offices or manufacturing plants, and just like I'm like, give me a tour, show me what you're doing, like show me how it's working, like what exactly are you guys doing, and just like soaking it all in and just trying to understand, um, you know, their their business models, and I, I've just always kind of like been fascinated with with business and investing and um you know this idea that you can um spend your time and energy to create something that will generate uh income for you while you do nothing you know it's just, just mm -hmm. kind of like it feels like a cheat code to life like once you've figured that out where it's like i literally have to do nothing and money comes in like like who would not want that? Like who would not want to be able to figure that out? Uh, so that's been like a, a strategy of mine for the past, you know, like 10, 15, 20 years to, to be able to figure that out. And it's hard. I mean, it's not easy. Like the easy way is like, hey, here I am. Let me dig a hole for you and, you know, change my, my, my time for money. Um, but but kind of like the, the next level is uh, being able to, get people to pay for things that you don't have to do anything on. Yeah, that can be kind of difficult when you are at that point, or at least I've heard from Andy Frisella. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He 
he is the creator of First Form. It's, I don't know, maybe a nine-figure, ten-figure business. And he was sick one day, and he he stopped working. He's the CEO of this company. He stops working. He sees all this money coming in. He's not doing anything. He's like, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. So he goes down the rabbit hole of not going to work, eating ice cream on the couch, and he's not doing anything. And he did this for, I think, a month or two. But then he quickly realized, wow, this is actually awful. Like, I'm doing all this. I'm watching all these movies. I'm not doing any work. But this is not fulfilling in any real way. So have you reached that point of of feeling like I'm not doing any work and this isn't fulfilling or that that's never been an issue for you? Yeah, I think I'm a little bit lucky in the sense that like I've always recognized that I appreciate work um, and, and I've created, you know, I certainly have bad days, but I've for the most part created a, a work style that doesn't drain me or doesn't exhaust me. So I'm not, you know, I've always been focused, not always, but for the, the past, you know, five, five years, I've been focusing on enjoying the journey, enjoying the journey. And when you do that, like work is fun. You know, I, I love coming into the office and, and there's always unexpected things. Like I said, there's, there's always days that are not great. Um, but after you kind of like solve those problems then it, it does like re-energize you to a certain degree. Um, so no, I've never been like, you know, and, and you hear the stories all the time, like the, 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 the founder who grew his company to whatever, he sells a business, has $20 million, and now he doesn't know what he wants to do. So it's like, I know what I want to do if I sold the business. It would be create the exact same thing. So if I'm going to create the exact same thing, like, why not just work on what I have here until I can't do it anymore, you know, until I'm inca- incapacitated or dead or, you know, or like ultimately burnt out. But I I mean, I think if you grow a business large enough, then you, you'll always be able to be there even into like a mentorship role as you try to, to help, you know, the next generation take over the business and run the business. So um, there's always work to be done in a business and there's always problems to solve. And this is actually something I'm pretty passionate about because uh, I see entrepreneurs all the time. Like the, the, the glory is like you grow this business, you sell it, you get on the cover of whatever, you're a unicorn, you raise all this money. And uh, I don't think they realize that, you know, like that, that strategy of, a, of trying to get to a destination, that destination is selling your business or hitting a billion dollar valuation or whatever that destination is. It's not going to make you happy. So if you're miserable up to that point of that destination and then you hit that destination expecting, you know, joy and happiness, maybe you find it and then it's gone like that. And then you're on to the next thing. And you've never solved that problem of enjoying the journey. And that's really what the problem you should be focusing on is the journey, the now, the present, and uh, really enjoying that. So uh, because once you fix that, then like, uh, I don't know, I want to say problems disappear because they always come up, but you know, it's uh, inconsequential problems that you're dealing with. So you said around five years ago, you started enjoying the journey more. What was the switch that happened to allow you to start looking at the journey as something you enjoyed instead of a destination you wanted to get to? Yeah, so I've got uh, two business partners at Beard Brand, Jeremy and Lindsay, and we've been good that we meet every quarter to have strategy meetings to, to kind of work on the business rather than in the business. So it, it allows us the freedom to make sure we're on the right path. And if, uh, 
you're an entrepreneur and you have business partners, I would highly recommend that. In the early days, we used to do a lot of international travel for these uh, because just like doing these strategy meetings in foreign countries gives you such a, a great perspective on the world of how other people live and even like new product ideas and how new presentations. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we haven't been doing the traveling much since uh, our family started to grow. Uh, but hopefully one day we'll we'll, we'll get back uh, on the international. Anyways, I digress. So the business had grown to about $3 million in sales. And uh, I was still eating ramen, you know, putting everything back into the business, trying to grow it at all costs. Uh, it's kind of the same way with my business partners. We were just like really stressed out trying to grow it, grow it, grow it. You know, all the money back in. And, you know, my business partner and I, uh, we, we didn't see eye to eye on that pathway and there's just like a lot of strife where we just felt like you know we're working really hard and you know we're not rewarding ourselves we're not you know like enjoying the success of of our efforts and and you know anybody who builds a three million dollar business with no debt uh that's a really good business and you can really live a really good life so instead of just like fighting and, and trying to like me ramrod my way or my partner ramrod their way like we're just like hey you know what and this is one thing i'm really fortunate for because we we came together the three million dollar business is a really good business if we get up to 20 percent profitability you know that's six hundred thousand dollars a year we leave half of that in the business uh that leaves three hundred thousand dollars for three partners like that's a really good life like that pays for the food the rent the cars you know the the freedom to travel it gives you pretty much everything you need so once we got to this $3 million mark, it was like, let's just enjoy it. Let's just enjoy it. Let's focus on the bottom line. Let's make sure the company's profitable. Let's lower the stress and uh, enjoy it. And that was in Amsterdam, I think, of, of 20, 2014, 15. I, I get my years mixed up. But um, whenever that happened, you know, of course, the not only did the business grow at a faster rate, but it was much more healthy, a lot less stress. I don't know. For anyone out there with business partners, when you argue with your business partner, that's not fun at all because you're not working on your business at all. So being able to, to come together and, you know, start walking side by side rather than, you know, being a little more confrontational was, was such a huge uh, change. And uh, ever since then, like business has been a lot more stress-free and we've had wins and we've had losses and, um, you know, I really enjoy it and I feel very fortunate to, to be part of it. What questions or tactics did you guys use to get on the same page when you were coming into this meeting with opposing agendas, maybe? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, uh, you, what do they say? You could cut the tension with a knife. Um, it was like, and it was, uh, we're going to Amsterdam and I think we're staying in the same Airbnb and, you know, like we were at different points with our family, like... I was married with a kid and, you know, one of my business partners wasn't married at that time. And it was just like a, a, a different perspective on the world. And I think a big thing was just like getting vulnerable and like opening it up and being like, here's what's going on. Like, here's why I feel this way. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that my business partner like uh, is able to, you know, kind of like tell their story in a way that, uh, allows me to, to get a better perception because sometimes I'm not a, a very empathetic person. It's just like, here's what I see. We go and we do it, uh, which is 
valuable in some cases, but in other cases it, it can present a challenge. And, and then I'm like, you know, like it all started to click, you know, I'm not the brightest guy in the world. It took per took them about like uh, six months for me to like figure that out. But once, once I kind of got it, it made sense. And then we made those changes. And, um, so I, I think it was more of just being open-minded. We, we have a rule, uh, with my business partners that, um, you know, like we have an ops agreement with everything laid out of like how you do your buy sell agreement or, you know, how you split the company up and, you know, like all the rules that you're supposed to have. But we just, we just said like, you know, let, let's, let's simplify that. We've got this op agreement, but for the most part, let's just ignore it and agree to treat each other with respect and agree to work things out when we have issues. And like those kind of two rules are really the ops agreement that we follow. And when you, you know, work to, to understand people and be respectful and, you know, understand that it's a, a partnership that you're trying to go together and it's not, you know, me versus my business partners and I'm trying to get ahead of them and I'm trying to get more equity and I'm trying to do, you know, like that's, that's messed up. Like if you're trying to build a business with somebody and, and you guys aren't aligned and, you know, like you almost see them as like a competitor within the business, then, uh, that's, that's not healthy at all. And I've seen it happen too, like, uh, with, with other entrepreneurs and, you know, like bridges, bridges get burned uh, when you do that. So, um, I would recommend as much as possible to think of your business partners as partners, you know, like similar to how you think about your, your spouse and, and being able to build a long-term, you know, 20, 30, 40 year relationship with them, um, that is fruitful and enjoyable. And, that you enjoy being around them. Uh, it's hard to do because I do think with your business partners, you want to be aligned philosophically. So being able to find people who you align philosophically with, but have complementary skill sets in the business is really like the, the magic formula for partnerships. How do you think that it got to the point where you guys were adversaries? I assume you didn't start the business viewing your partners as adversaries, but maybe you sharing your story of how, you guys became adversaries, if you feel like you did, would help yeah. somebody maybe in a similar spot. I, I wouldn't say that we became adversaries. Uh, I, I wouldn't really describe it that way. I would just say that for a period of time, our vision wasn't aligned with how we wanted to grow the, the business. So, you know, I wanted to, to grow at all costs, eat ramen. And the reason that I could do that was because my wife was working and she was making all the money, so it didn't matter if I made any money. And then my business partner, um, they didn't have uh, a, a, a partner, a spouse, to be able to put food on their table. So that person had to make money uh, <laughs> in the business. So, like, you know, they weren't willing to... to, to I mean, eat ramen and live out of a trailer or whatever because they... they, they couldn't, you know, uh, so it was kind of hard for me to, to understand that uh, in the early days and a little stubborn because I saw the, the, the big potential for Beard Brand, which was this $100 million company, you know, and then we would be making all this money and, and it kind of, again, like going towards that destination versus enjoying the journey uh, was was really where the, the, the primary conflict was. Um and then once we got on the same page with that, it was, 
you know, but, but everything else within the business, like we still wanted to build like a premium men's grooming business. And, you know, what we were actually doing with the business was, was, was always like together. So it was just working through this, this one issue that we had to, to resolve. You mentioned that vulnerability and being open was so important to that journey. And I'm curious about the content side of things. You've been so vulnerable and so open about your own journey, your own story, your own insecurities, and we can get into those, but I'm curious what inspires you to be so open on the internet about your own story? Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's anything that inspires me. I think it's just like a function of my, my own stupidity. Like I just can't keep my <laughs> mouth shut sometimes. And, uh, I mean, you, everybody's got those friends who just says things that they shouldn't say. And, and I'm just kind of one of those people. I think it was a trait of my mother that I picked up. Um, and I would say for the most part, uh, it's nothing that I, I'm upset about, you know, I'm, I'm totally fine with doing it, but I just feel like if there's something like the, the way I, my, my therapy, my self therapy is if I have a, a thought in my brain, I got to put it out to the world. And then, you know, I don't need everyone to agree with me, but like, I just need to like verbally dump all this stuff. Like, that's just how I process, uh, my, my dark times in life, uh, is just like verbally through communications. And, uh, I think, uh, a lot of people, I imagine, I guess most people aren't like that. I think most people just internalize and they put on a mask and, you know, for me, I can't do that. Like, I can't fake it. Like I'm, I'm a terrible faker like if i have any kind of like secret or thought like you know like you can tell in a heartbeat <laughs> that something's up so um yeah so like for me like i i just you know i share it and then i i'm a product of the internet i've been on the internet since like 94 i was in the aol chat rooms i've had all sorts of like weird things happen to me on the internet so i can handle uh, the things that come from it. Like I can handle all the trolls. I can handle all the haters. I got no like concerns, uh, like over weird things that people have concerns about. And then, you know, like also I'm secure with who, who I am as an individual and what my beliefs are. I've thought a lot about my thoughts. Like I, I, I've invested hours and hours and hours, you know, like hundreds or thousands of hours, like refining my beliefs. So I feel pretty confident that, you know, I can stand up to scrutiny. Uh, and ultimately, you know, like I, I, I feel like I want to make the world a better place. I want to inspire people to be better. I want to, um, you know, help them love themselves. I want to help them have confidence. And, uh, you know, I, I do believe in, you know, not being a victim and, uh, you know, living a life of your, your own choosing and, and taking responsibility for things that you have because that gives you control over your life and the, the minute you're a victim that means you've you've taken the whatever control you have over your life and you've given it to somebody else and if you're giving somebody else power over you then then how are you going to improve your life so even if if bad things happen to you and it really isn't your fault you still need to figure out how to take control of that um and being a victim is is in my opinion not that way or, or feeling entitled to things is is not that way you have to earn everything um and, and recognizing that you know life isn't fair you know like there are disadvantages that that i have that you don't have and there are disadvantages that you have that i don't have and you know like recognizing the the, the value that we bring in the world and leaning into that and 
You know, it's like Beard Brand's never going to be, you know, like a multi-billion dollar company like what Elon Musk is building. And that's okay. You know, like Elon Musk has billions of, of dollars of, of wealth and uh, I've, I don't have anywhere near that. And that's okay. Like I can still enjoy life. Like I, I don't need to take him down. I don't need to take money from him for me to be able to enjoy life. I can enjoy life uh, with all the tools and the resources I have. And I believe strongly that every single individual in the world is able to find happiness and joy in the life with the things around them. Uh, especially considering like the advances we have in life compared to like 300 years ago where people were living happy lives. So like if they could, they could find joy with like candle lit things like you're going to be able to find joy now being able to, to drive through a, a Starbucks and get some coffee. Like life is really, really good. Like it's a, a, an amazing time to be alive. I couldn't agree more. And you gave me so much to dive into. One of the things you mentioned was about self-awareness and spending a lot of time with your own thoughts. What does that practice or practices look like for you? And when did you begin to implement them? And how does that work for you? Look at your own thoughts. Yeah, I, um, I like, it goes back to earlier in the conversation where I just like to think, um, one, one thing I, I don't want to be is a, a hypocrite. i like it for whatever reason, the idea of being a hypocrite really bothers me. Like, I don't want to say one thing <laughs> and do another. And I think to a certain degree, you're always going to have that. Like there's going to be times in your life where you say one thing and, and do another. But I also like, so I go down this pathway of like, you know, I love freedom and, you know, I, uh, I believe in, you know, like individual sovereignty or, or private property and like, you know, wh- what does this mean? And like to, to there, there's another tweet I just made. It was like, um, don't say, no, you can't do it. Ask, how can I do it? So it's like, how can we build a society based on freedom and, and what would that look like? And, and just like trying to figure that out. Like, how do I do it? How do I answer? Like, how does this work? Like, I don't know. Like, it, that that takes me down like a rabbit hole of, of different ways and different um, pathways. And, and as I go down these pathways and I consider, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like, this seems like it's on the right pathway. And then I'll hit this like, kind of like, really a roadblock where something is inconsistent. And it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, well, why does it work for this principle, but not this principle? So, so one of the big things for me is, you know, I label myself as like a voluntarist, which essentially says, uh, I believe that uh, society should, should um, be built by people who engage in voluntary uh, interactions. And they, uh, uh, it's built on the premise of private property. Uh, so like if you have those two foundations, then everything kind of boils down to that. And I would ask myself, like, you know, because, uh, you know, government does so many things. They do the roads. They do the, you know, the, 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 the national defense. They do, you know, all these major things that you say you can't live without without the government. So the question is, like, well, first of all, you know, like, the, the market works so much more efficiently for getting food on the table, you know, providing automobiles, making, you know, like, you know, grooming products, styling products, things like that. Why, why all this, you know, what is different about roads than all these other products and services? And I come to the conclusion, it's the same thing. You know, like the, the government 
is never more efficient at allocating resources in the market because their decisions are based on like layers of voting and representation, or at least here in America. Um, then the market, which is based on like actual resources and profit. So if, if uh, a company doesn't have profit, uh, they're not going to be able to be sustainable. So they're not, you know, ultimately they're not bringing value to the world. So I view profit almost as an indicator to the, the amount of value that an organization is bringing to the world. Uh, now, you know, like there is the reality of today's environment, which has a lot of manipulation by uh, activities of, of force, so government involvement, um, that do skew the, the real value corporations and, and companies are bringing to the world. But uh, the more we move to this direction of uh, more freedom, uh, less government uh, involvement, the, uh, the more society will continue to, to thrive and, and grow and improve, in my opinion. Yeah, I want to push back or at least question the idea that just profit being the ultimate goal people can take that too far no well, I, and I didn't it's say good. profit is the ultimate goal but profit is an indicator profit is an indicator but don't you think that the government it's helpful to have some level of check on business because people can take it too far people can look at profit and say i want profit i need profit profit's the best way but what's the check on that yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, a market for regulation. Uh, what, what's to, to say that there can't be a free market for regulation? So a great example of regulation is uh, consumer reports. That is a check on corporations making crappy products. So com consumer reports comes in and they say, all right, I'm going to review all these products to see if your claims are actually what their claims are. And there's no government force involved in that. So there's your, your, your one, one very simple example of the market providing regulation and, and check on corporations. And that can yeah, happen what about in, 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 a, in, a, in a variety of other ways that we can't even imagine that are stifled because organizations are essentially either competing with like 100% subsidized organization or they literally can't. Like if they try to create a, this business, uh, they would go to jail. They would be put in jail for, for trying to do this business. What about police and fire? Like you want to call 911, you want... Yeah, I mean, well, again... You like want you're, service you're, right away. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, first of all, are you getting service right away? And second of all, these things currently exist. They're called private security forces, uh, and people pay for them. Like the, the mall security is a perfect example. So it's just delivered in a different way. Uh, I, and if you want to prevent your house from burning down, there could be alternative solutions that might be better than firemen, like building more... Uh, capable in property, you know, fire, fire suppressants or building buildings that are less likely to catch on fire, you know, made out of concrete versus wood. So there's all these alternative solutions that you may not think about in the free market when your decisions are based on profit rather than based on, you know, voting or force. So uh, it doesn't necessarily mean the solutions that we have provided by the government are the best and they should be emulated in a totally free market. Yeah, I appreciate the perspective. And I'm curious, like we were talking about the the way in which you analyze your thoughts. Do you have a specific practice that you use or you do? Is it journaling? Is it long walks? How do you evaluate your own thoughts? 
Yeah, I would say, you know, to, to kind of get lost in my thoughts, uh, walk in with headphones and music on is, is a great way to, to do that. Um, I also love conversation. So like the very things that we have now where you, you push back and you're like, well, this is dumb or this is dumb. It really allows me to kind of like refine uh, my, my thoughts in the way that I deliver the information so that it's more easily understood. Uh, so I love conversation as well. And whether it be conversation online or in person. Yeah. Conversations really are the best mirrors for your own thoughts. I want to swing back to, you said you've been on the internet since 1994, which is incredible. And you've seen a lot of weird things is what you said. So I'm curious what some of the weird things you could share with us that you've experienced or seen or been a part of. Well, I mean, um, all my, my millennial buddies, I'm class of 99, uh, uh, high school class of 99 we've been around the block i think the internet's gone soft i think the internet's like gone really really soft what year were you born 1995 okay so i've been on the internet longer than you've been alive um Correct. you grew up with it and i think by 2004 when facebook really started getting a lot of traction and we kind of saw this uh, almost like centralization of the internet uh, in the early days, the internet was just like really wide open. It was just like everyone had their website. I had my, you know, GeoCities website or my members.aol account, my little webpage there. And, um, you know, in the chat rooms, like it's called Rick Rolling now, but we would, we wouldn't Rick Roll with like Rick Ash, Astry, Ash, Ashley. I don't know how to pronounce it. Anyways, we would Rick Roll with like the most disgusting photographs you could ever imagine. So. What does that mean um, for people who, who don't know what Rick Rolling is? Or? Okay, so Rick Rolling is like when you provide a link to like a news article, but instead of the link, it, it goes to a, a video of, uh, I'm never going to give you up by, by Rick Ass. How do you pronounce his last name? I don't know. Rick, Rick Ass. Ass. We'll, we'll just call it Rick <laughs> A. Um, and I don't know, like, it's just kind of like one of, like, these were like the really early day uh, memes. But there used to be like these independent websites that were just like gross. And it was just like, you know, like the the internet was just so novel that you're like, I, I had no idea that people like this could exist in the world. And like, and you're just kind of like sucked in to like, just be able to like, like, what is this? Like, why? Like, so, and you know, like all the memes, these are all kind of like, memes at the time but like two girls one cup was you know i don't know if you've seen that or referenced that but but like that kind of stuff would like just go around the internet and we would just share it and it was just kind of normal and like nowadays like everyone would be triggered and you know like they'd need therapy and like you know they're the victim because they got a rickroll or you know what it, but it just seemed like back in the day like uh, it was just a lot a lot more innocent uh, time where you could just do things that were a little more inappropriate like we just had tougher skin i think why does it bother uh, you it's, it seems like it bothers you that the internet's gotten soft why do you think it bothers you so much you know like i think it goes back to that whole like freedom thing like i think uh you know like i i grew up a, a gamer as well like in the gaming communities, like you just, you hear everything, there's slurs going around. It's just, I don't think, I think it's almost like this release that people are allowed to have on the internet where you can do these kind of, you know, 
inappropriate things, do them anonymously. And then in real life, just get like back. So it's almost like a release. And I feel like if, if people don't have uh, this release and, and like everything, you know, it can develop into unhealthy habits, I'm sure. And I'm sure there's, you know, like people who have been exposed to things on the internet that haven't helped their lives. But um, I don't know, man, I, I'm just somebody that's not a, a prude and I'm not a softy. And, you know, it's just boring. It's a boring life if you got to walk on eggshells all day long. And, and I think Dave Chappelle's like this too. He tells these really inappropriate uh, jokes and uh, people enjoy it. It brings joy to their lives and they laugh and it's fun. And it's just, I don't know, like we're, they're trying to get rid of humor and everything's going to be serious and uh, no one can get offended anymore. That doesn't, that's just not a life that I want to live. Yeah, but it's interesting because you want to draw a line between what people can say and if someone would say something the same way to you in person versus saying it online. Like saying racial slurs to someone on a video game, how is that going soft? I'm curious from your perspective. Like should people be allowed to say racial slurs on a video game? I mean, people should be able to do whatever they want as long as they're not like beating people up you know and, and but uh, so inconsiderate that could hurt someone's mental that that could hurt someone's idea of themselves like it it seems like a an inconsiderate way to treat a fellow human being no i think it's i think it's it's also like uh you know i could i can lift weights and if the weight's too heavy i could i could you know fall and and uh you know that's that would hurt me, right? I could be hurt by weight, by doing something that's too heavy for me to, to, to be prepared. But it's that, that act of facing that adversity that allows me to level up and gain. So if everybody is coddled throughout their entire life, the minute that something hard happens to them, they're not gonna be prepared to handle anything. And if, like, if you're telling me that the, the, the thing that is so hard to you is some random, you know, 12 year old kid just like rambling off some things that he knows or she knows nothing about you and you're offended and that takes you like takes you down, then holy shit, you are not ready for this world. Like the world, as much as as you want it to be this like fruitcake soft place, it's not. You're going to deal with hard things. You're going to deal with criticism. And the, the reason that I'm able to find success. The reason I'm able to say things publicly is because I've dealt with all those things. I've heard it all uh, in the early days and, and they just bounce off of me now. Uh, and it's no big deal because I've, I've been able to level up from those experiences. And there's, you know, I'm gonna segue into education now because I put my daughter in a school that focuses on this concept that children should fail early. They should fail in school. And it's that learning how to fail and how to get up and how to grow that is what makes you an amazing person. And right now, like children, many children are just coddled so much and they're just bumped up to the next grade, bumped up to the next grade, pass, pass, not my problem, not my problem. And then when they hit the the, the quote unquote real world, they don't have any abilities to, to know how to fa- handle failure. And then they fail big. And then they end up, uh, you know, like on drugs on the street because they just can't handle it. Uh, or back at, you know, your, their mom and dad's place, if they're fortunate enough to have loving parents that, that let them back in. But, um, yeah, man, you got to yeah. fail. You got to face these things. I'm sorry. Like, that's just the world we're in. And, if again, like, if the worst thing that you have dealing with now 
is somebody saying inappropriate things to you? Like, you know, my grandfather fought in uh, World War Two. You know, my, my father fought in, in uh, Vietnam. Like, holy shit. <laughs> like those people who had bu- bullets flying through their head, by their head, you know, like mm-hmm. the world's gone soft. And it's not to say that we should strive for war or anything like that, but um, we should be prepared for adversity. Absolutely. On the point of failing and the importance of failing, there's a great story from Sarah Blakely, who at the dinner table every night when she was a kid, her dad would ask her, what did you fail at today? And if she did not have an answer, the father, her father was upset, meaning yeah. that the failure was a good thing and should be rewarded because failure is how you strive to get better. But yeah. on the point of the world being soft, I want to ask you the advantages that you see to the world being softer? Like, uh, I mean, like having a, a kinder, gentler world, you know, like, um, I, I mean, I, I guess, like, I, I think that the thing is, like, it really comes down to your control. And uh, I, I think there's, um, what is important is that you're able to control the environment to the best of your abilities of, of what you want to have. So like if, if you don't want, you know, to, to be around, you know, like, um, 12 year olds throwing racial slurs and maybe video games aren't the hobby that you should have. And, uh, I, I think it's, it's more of like being able to adapt to the world rather than trying to have the world adapt to you. Uh, what I think is, is, is ultimately the lesson because, I also have a rule, like, I'm not going to, I don't take shit and I don't give shit. Um, so, like, if someone's being an asshole to me, they're just, they're going to be out of my life. And I don't care if it's my mom, my dad, my brother, you know, anyone. Like, if you're going to be a dick to me, you're gone. But a lot of that comes from my own self-confidence and and just knowing what uh, the kind of life that I want to build. Uh, so, it comes from that self-investment that I've got. But... Um, you know, the, the reality is like sometimes not everyone gets eight hours of sleep. You know, sometimes people get cut off and they're in a bad mood. Sometimes, you know, people's, people die and their mind's not in the right place. Like, and it doesn't mean like this person who threw out a racial slur is a bad person. You know, maybe they're, 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 their dog just died and they need a release and you're at the butt end of it. So, I mean, I'd love to say that we could have this beautiful world where bad things happen to people and they're just like happy and flowers. But I also don't think that's reality. I think it's, it's, it's a false goal, uh, for humanity. I think, you know, aggression and negativity and anger are all very much human elements. And if we don't learn how to uh, be exposed to it and and involved with it and react to it, then, um, you're going to live a, a, a unhealthy and unhappy life. It's a really interesting perspective. I'm curious about the situation with your parents or situation with people you've cut off because you've have, you have self-confidence that you don't take any shit. So could you take us through one of those scenarios? You don't have to name anybody specifically, but how you went about doing that if you did. I mean, I, I think the big thing is they know that if they 
screw around with me, they're not going to be part of my my life. So subsequently, what does what does screw around with you mean? If, if you don't mind, uh, I, I mean it, going deeper. W- w- there's manipulative people out there. You know, there's there's people with agendas. There's people who like screw you over. Um, you, you just you run into that all the time. So I mean, it's just. I don't return your emails. I don't return your calls. Like it's it's not like this big show. Like hey, you know Jane Doe, you are no longer part of my life. It's just like ah, uh, you know ABC called me, and I'm just not going to return the call. You know, like it's just simple things like that. Uh, or you know, I'm going to move. When I move, I'm just not going to stay in touch with this person anymore. So it's like, um, I, I think like obviously there becomes like a higher threshold for the, the relationships that you've built. Like my spouse would have to, to really do a lot of bad things for a long period of time for me to just be like, you know, you're dead to me. But like, ultimately, um, if you're not willing to defend yourself, who are you willing to defend? You know, only you spend a hundred percent of your time with yourself. And if you're just a punching bag for people to be taken advantage of, then, you know, what, what good are you? you like, you have to defend yourself. You have to put yourself first. Um, and that's ultimately what it is. It's just like my, my self-preservation and my self-health and, and all this, my mental health, my physical health, all these come at a higher priority because I can't do anything uh, if I'm not here in the world. Like if, if I'm too sick to, to breathe or to go upstairs or, you know, to, to be able to have a good conversation. So, um yeah, I mean, it's. I'm not going around burning a lot of bridges. In fact, I probably have very few bridges that that get burned because of the boundaries that I set. You mentioned your wife, and I'm curious if you could tell the story of the situation you've dealt with with your second child. It was incredibly moving from doing research on this conversation. I'd love for you to share it here, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the thirty second uh, story is uh, my wife and I deal with infertility. We started trying to have kids back in two thousand eight, and uh, just had a string of uh, miscarriages. And then, of course, we went uh, through the the leveling up steps of, of trying to, to have a kid, and which ultimately resulted in um, IVF. So uh, we, we went through IVF uh, with an egg donor. For my daughter, who was born, she'll be celebrating eight years here um, in a couple of weeks. So uh, that was a really challenging. Uh, it was really like a challenging decade, I would say, for for my wife and I, and just uh, the failures that we've had. Um, I don't I don't keep track as well as my wife does, but I think we've had something like nine or ten lost pregnancies. Uh, so even after my daughter uh, was born, we we still continue to struggle with infertility. And we were very fortunate that um, uh, we did this trip to Denmark uh, a couple of years ago and uh, were able to uh, come home with a little stowaway uh, in my wife's belly. So uh, that's my boy, and, and uh, he's coming up on a couple of years uh, next spring. So uh, we feel very fortunate and blessed. But yeah, infertility is a, a beast that I wouldn't really recommend on, on my. Uh, uh, on anyone, uh, on anyone. And, and you kind of talk about like things that are in your control or not in your, your control. And I think uh, infertility has um, led to a lot of divorces and a, a lot of strife between partners. And, you know, I always get back to the commitment I made to my wife to, to be with her. And, you know, I, the, the way I think of marriage is, uh, you know, a lifetime commitment. 
uh, which means uh, all the way to to the death, which means uh, you can have bad years, you can have bad decades, um, and you know ultimately those those bad decades uh, are worth it. Uh, they're worth it as you persevere and, and come together. So to anyone out there, like, uh, you know, business partnership is hard and marriage is hard, but, you know, like um, try to, to, to give your perspective like longer than the now to be able to help you think about the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, and whatever that may be. How do you reframe or think about it in that moment of losing a baby over and like, to that situation, the eighth time, the ninth time, what are you thinking? How are you able to move on and, and keep going? And what is your thought process like at that time? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the, the early ones are really challenging, like the first ones that, that happen. And then obviously by uh, the time, like uh, eight, nine, ten, you, 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 I want to say you get used to it, but it's just kind of like it almost comes to the point where you, you feel like it's expected uh, which is also like, if you step back and you think about it, it's a very sad thing to think about that. Like when everyone else, not everyone, but when a lot of people who want to have families find out they're pregnant, it's such a, a joyous thing. And for me, it's always, uh, you know, sometimes it's just, it's sad because you know, the result uh, of, of what it's going to be. And, you know, for whatever reason, the, the one in, in Denmark, you know, that I had a little bit of, a little bit of hope with that. Like it, it was just one of those things when you deal with infertility, you just don't talk about it. Like you can't bring it up. It's like, it's like, a you know, the baseball, um, comeback story where you, you rally caps, like you, you just kind of wear this rally cap. You don't talk about it. You take it day by day, week by week, you know, you go to the ultrasounds, you hope for a heartbeat, do you get a heartbeat, you know, like all these things. And it's never really safe until that, that kid's out. And then even once the kid's out, it's not safe. They deal with jaundice and, you know, like trouble breastfeeding and, and things like that. And, you know, and then they grow up and they end up doing stupid things, breaking their legs. And, you know, you just hope that you just hope that you outlive your kids is, or excuse me, you just hope that your kids outlive you uh and they bury you rather than the other way around um so it's it's hard you know it's stressful and and uh i don't know if you have any kids or not but um uh, at the same time it's rewarding and, and and i think it brings a lot of joy and value to to uh parents uh around the world what makes for a good partner when you both are dealing with such struggle and such loss um, I, I think the, the, the thing that we have in our marriage is a similar thing that we have in our business partnership and that we, we treat each other with respect. So you know, when we do get in arguments, uh, it's not to say it's never happened, but, uh, you know, there's not name calling or anything like that. It's usually disagreement on the subject matter and also understanding that some subject matters we're just not going to agree on. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to be in, we're going to see the world differently. Uh, my wife is, you know, uh, she kind of falls into the the liberal side of things, and you know, I'm libertarian, and that means we pretty much disagree on everything politically. Uh, and we've been married 15 years, and and we've been able to work through that, and we just kind of focus on the things that that we do believe on together, and uh, which is just like we just enjoy our each other's company. You know, like we 
we like hanging out with each other. We we like to tell jokes, and if we can avoid the the political conversations, you know, things will, will tend to be good. But every once in a while, you know, every couple months, we'll start arguing about this or that, and it's hard not to in today's environment. But uh, I think it's just that that goal to 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 have respect and and to work things out. Yeah, you have this tweet saying. Next month, my wife and I will celebrate 15 years together. We differ on probably 80 to 90% of political views. It doesn't stop us from loving and respecting each other. Please find love in your heart to respect and be considerate to those with different outlooks on the world. How do you find it's best to respect and be considerate of those with different outlooks, especially in today's climate of high intensity in terms of views and beliefs? Yeah, I mean... The, the reality is, like, I didn't go through the, the same life that you went through, Danny. Like, I, I have no idea, like, the, the the experiences you've had, the perspectives you've had, like, just all these things that kind of, like, start you going down this path, you know? Like, if you're bullied as a kid, if you're, you're you know, one of your parents died or they split up or just, you know, like, the things that happen to you that, that kind of start to ingrain these beliefs, like, your your vision of reality is different than mine and, and and i think the ultimate reality is everybody out there with the exception of like a very few amount of psychopaths want the world to be a better place like i i don't think these people have these views because they they're like oh yeah i want to do this because it makes the world worse like we we just see the world being different and like and i think both are true i think there's i think it's absolutely possible that there can be two truths that there can be multiple ways to live life there can be multiple ways so i think it's that's why i go back to like kind of like this this anti-government spiel that i'm on is because like government's trying to tell 300 million people how to live life and the beauty of america is like you have these these little nations that came together and we're like we'll just trade and then we'll we'll run our little nations the way we do and then you could have all this like different styles of of governance and um, the more we can get back to that, where ultimately, you know, the governance comes down to like the family unit or the neighborhood, uh, then you're really able to have so many different truths on how you can live a, a great and amazing life uh, without kind of pushing your ways onto other people. And I think a lot of individuals are insecure with their own beliefs. Um, they may not recognize this or, or see it, but they, they leverage that insecurity by pushing other people to behave that the way they are. So I'm confident in the way that I live my life and the jo- the choices that I make and uh, where I go. Like you can say I should be this way all you want, but it doesn't bother me for you to do that because I know my way is, is the way that's great for me. Uh, and subsequently, my way may suck for you, Danny. Like it, it may be terrible. So I'm not going to tell you to, to have a wife and kids and da 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 da. Like uh, I think it's great. I may sell you on the idea, but you know, if you decide to go a different way, you decide to go a different way. No big deal. Yeah. I think also that a lot of people who have different beliefs than you are also confident that the beliefs that they have will help you and, and confident in themselves rather similar to you, that the beliefs that they have will help you as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's very interesting. But yeah. I want to talk it's to you very about... Pre- I think I, I, just to, to add on to that, that's very it. presumptuous. Very presumptuous that you would know, like that me, Eric Banholtz, would know how to run Danny's life better than Danny. 
Like, I, I some just think people, it's... people, but don't you think that some people have trouble making decisions and trouble with certain areas? Because how would I, I if, know yeah, but, the best way to tackle certain things? Well, like, I don't know like the it. best way. I don't know Wait. the best way to tackle certain things. So it's helpful to have outside parties come in and, and help me with those decisions. I don't know how to create a police force. But, I don't but know you to... need to seek that out, right? That's a Danny seeking out that information. It's not me coming to you telling you what you're doing is wrong, right? There's, it's the same, like ultimately it's the same thing, but it's, you know, the, the, it all starts with you saying, hey, I'm not good at finance. Let me go research it and find some stuff or follow different people who talk about finance. And then all of a sudden I start to learn it. I get a little better about it. And then I find people who I agree with and I disagree with. Um, but if we had like finance guys going around telling everybody you have to buy ETFs and this is the only way you can invest your money, you know, like that's going to be true for a lot of people, but not for everybody. Yeah, definitely. So I want to talk to you another about one of your tweets because it's, uh, it's very wholesome and nice, and I love to hear you talk about it a little more. Is I just turned 40. The 30s was my best decade so far. Celebrated 15 years of marriage, had two children, built a multi-million dollar business, was on national TV several times, paid off all debt, faster rower than when in college. Can't wait to see what the 40s bring. It's incredible, man. What Dang. about that excites you, and, and why did you put that tweet out? I... Uh... I think that, you know, one of the visions I had in life is like, I, I don't want to be uh, one of the, I don't want to be fat. <laughs> if, like if I want to be blunt, <laughs> I like, I want to be fit and I want to be in shape and I want to, I want to live a long time. Like I, I want to live to be a hundred years old and uh, the decisions I make now, uh, while may not ultimately, um, you know, it, it sets me on the pathway for success and, uh, you know, I do try to think in, in long term. So I've got uh, 60 years left on this planet. You know, what are the things that I need to be doing um, to, to do that? And I think there's a little bit of, of competition in me, which is not entirely healthy, I think. But like, you know, like there's that hierarchy in high school uh, that everybody knows about. And it's just like I want to <laughs> like I want to level up and, you know, like level up over my imaginary high school, like nemesis which i don't really have any but it's just like i just like yeah you know i did this better than you and so i think there's like a little bit of self-congratulatory taking a moment to just be proud of the things i did um which uh is is it good or bad i don't know but i i, I kind of also want to inspire people that you know you can you don't have to give up like you you got a shitty job um maybe you haven't managed your relationship to the best of your abilities and you haven't been taking care of your body. Like, uh, I, I think it, it, it doesn't matter what's happened up to this point, but, you know, today is, is I, I can't get any of those 40 years back, but I can use today as a starting block to, to, to build the next 60 years to be the best that they can be for me. Uh, you know, I'm never going to be, at this age, I'm never going to be Usain Bolt. I'm never going to be like a world-class athlete. You know, I, I'll, I'll probably never be like a, a space engineer or, or whatever. Like the, I've gotten a, a certain pathway that I have, but it doesn't mean I can't, you know, focus on now and, and where it's going to go for, for the next 60 years. Um, but yeah, I, I really think the, 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 the thing that doesn't get shared in today's environment 
where we celebrate, you know, the, the richest, the wealthiest, the fastest, the most athletic is the, the person who's found balance in their life. And, uh, you know, if one thing I, I kind of want to be known for is like being able to, to maintain a, a marriage, to be a good father for my children, to be fit, to be healthy, to be active, to put good food in me. Um, and to, to be as successful, um, to be successful in my career as well. So there's a, there's a saying that, uh, I learned from somebody else. I don't, I don't know who told me, but imagine you've got four burners with one propane type pipe coming in that can only output so much gas. If you have one burner, you can run all that gas up to that burner and get it really bright. So that one burner could be your career. Um, but the reality is you need to have one for your career. You need to have one for your relationships. You need to have one for your physical health. And then you need to have one for your spiritual health, your mental health. So you need to be able to find a way that uh, you can accept that none of these burners are going to be extremely bright, but uh, they're all going to, you know, take your food to a simmer and help you cook and prepare and, you know, live a healthy life. So how do you best keep all those burners on? Um, you know, it's, it's really, uh, it kind of goes back to like the, the conversation where we talked about like being willing to, um, block people out of your life. You have to be confident with your decisions to know that you're worth it. And if you're not willing to put, you know, 30 to, to 60 minutes a day into your physical health, nobody else is going to do it for you. Uh, nobody's going to do it for you. And if you're not willing to, to put that time to your relationship, we got, um, uh, what is it like 12, 12 hours a day, you know, 16 hours a day, something like that of, uh, abilities to, to spend. And you can do a lot in 16 hours. You can do a lot of work. You can do a lot of fitness. You can do a lot of time with your family and, uh, you can do a lot of reflection, meditation, mindfulness, uh, spirituality, whatever that may be. So there's plenty of time in the world. We all, we all share the same amount of time as we, we spend around this uh, sun. So there's no real excuses. It's just having that confidence to be able to say, Hey, look, I'm lifting weights. You know, like what do I need to do to make sure that you're taken care of? Um, let's figure out how to solve that problem. So it's just a series of, of solving problems and, and putting your resources into the things that are most important. So rather than spending $50,000 on a car, you know, I buy good food and I buy, you know, weights and stuff like that. Or, or, or like pay, pay someone to watch the kids if I need to go exercise. You know, whatever it is, you have to have those priorities in life. Hmm. I love that. And before we go to a close, I love to ask the question, what advice you have for someone pursuing the highest version of themselves, whether that's mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, what advice do you have for that person? Um, I mean, this is like a shameless little plug. I've got this little book here called, uh, the book of reminders. Uh, we, we give this out with, uh, orders, uh, during some periods of time. And, uh, these are like the, the nine reminders that I generally just kind of tell myself as I face adversity in life. And I think it's, could you it's, read them out for people yeah, who maybe are yeah, listening? For listening. So, uh, it's, it's nine different chapters and, and I almost think about it. Uh, from your birth to your your death, and as you face different um, adversities within those stages of, of of life, but the reminders are going to be valid for any point in your life. So the first one is 
breathing is your first love, which is a reminder of like, just focus on your breath. You know, like center yourself, breathe, block out the external world, look, look within. And then love is uh, your first gift is uh, just a premise that like people like to overcomplicate life. Uh, if you can just share that love, uh, that's gonna resolve a, a lot of issues. So just think about how you can share love in your life, uh, whether it be you know, your, your partner, your spouse, uh, or just the, the, the person who's taking your order at Starbucks. Um, your uniqueness bonds you to those who are different. Kind of um, talks about just how we're all different. We all come from different lives. Um, but we also, because of that infinite uniqueness, we also have many things that we share together. Um, so it could be, you know, sharing this podcast experience together or talking about the weather or, you know, uh, talking about our age group or fitness or whatever it is. There are things that we can do to be able to connect with other individuals rather than focusing on the things that are different because there's also a million things that we could get upset about because they're different. So instead of focusing on the differences, focus on the things that are the same. Uh, the world owes you nothing and and uh, it owes you nothing. Excuse me, you owe the world nothing and it owes you nothing. Kind of gets back to um, this uh, entitlement thinking uh, versus martyr. You know, like um, you've got to find balance in there because, you know, ultimately um, uh, the world will take from you if you allow it to, to take from you. So uh, it just kind of talks about like... Uh, Entitlement thinking and victim mentality and, and being a martyr. Um, invest in yourself first. That, I mean, I've said this like 20 times on this podcast already. I don't know if I, it's like beating a dead horse at this point, but I prioritize we'll title. my life. Yeah, I prioritize my life. So it, it's, it's always, you know, Eric first. And for some people, it's like God or spirituality. But to me, that's kind of one and the same. Yourself, your spirituality, your, your mental token. And then for me, it goes to my wife. And then it goes to my kids, and then it goes to my close families and my business partners, and then my, um, um, like, you know, cousins, and then like close friends and stuff like that. But because I have this prioritization, I know it's like, well, you know, should I go out drinking with, uh, you know, some random business person I just met, or should I go lift weights? And like, where is my prioritization? It's like, well, I should go lift weights because I want to live to 100. Um, haters are going to hate, you know, this gets back to being able to create content, um, put work out to the world and recognize that people are going to criticize. And some of those criticisms are love and being able to distinguish those criticisms from love and hate is a really important thing. So I love criticism because it helps me level up my game. Um, but I don't like, you know, just hate. Uh, and then if I'm getting hate, it's just like, ah, haters are going to hate, just go on, do your thing. Uh, the things that you own, own you. As a reminder to not chase material possessions. Uh, the bigger house that you have, you have to fill it with furniture. It gets harder to sell. Uh, you're kind of restricted by that. You can't live life without purchasing things. So you need to, again, like everything, find that balance of what is the appropriate amount of things and not buy things chasing, um, trying to fill a void. So you buy things because they, they do bring value to your life. Life is fluid and always changing it is a reminder that the things that happened in the past happened in the past. The things that happen in the future are different. No experience is ever going to be duplicated. We could have another podcast, Danny, but the next time we do a podcast is not going to be the same. You know, we're going to have different conversations. So it's a reminder to focus on the present, you know, being here right now and enjoying this moment as it is. And a couple of big takeaways with that is like, if, uh, 
If there's something that's shitty in your life that happened in the past, just leave it in the past. You, you don't have to bring it back to the present at all. And then if something was great that happened in the past, continue to bring it back. Like look at those fem those those photos, you know, relive that trip that you did with your family, like bring it back to the present. And then subsequently, if there's something in the future that is making you anxious, bring that to the present as well. Like what are the conversations that you need to have to, to, to overcome any kind of adversity? So like bring things to the present and uh, be in the present. And then the last one, I went kind of woo, but it's like you are the age of the universe. Like the, the, all the atoms come from, you know, elements that have been around forever. Uh, as far as we know it, uh, according to science. So like, it's, it's really unique to think about, you know, the iron and the carbon and, you know, whatever minerals come to your body to make you for this very brief moment of time. And then when you die and you pass, like you have like a little bit of imprint, like, you know, my iron will go on to, to feed the worms or whatever. And then the worms will live. And it's, it's just kind of like this more, it's not really like a, like a traditional, like Buddhist rebirth kind of mentality, but it is an actual, the, the science element of it. It's like, you are literally going to continue to exist forever, uh, or the, the physical things that make you up. So it kind of gives you like that, or it gives me kind of that comfort of knowing that for some reason, uh, my soul was able to bring together inanimate objects to bring life to it. And then, you know, hopefully they, they continue in part of bringing life and, and maybe not bringing life, whatever it is. But uh, I don't know. I think it's pretty special to think about, like, in the billions and billions and billions of years of, of, of existence of these atoms that, that they come together to make you, uh, which, I don't know, is kind of special. That's beautiful. And those rules are from where exactly? So this, uh, I saw this on, um, on Beard Brand. It's called The Book of Reminders. The Book of and Reminders. And it's just like, the, the whole thing is like, this is uh, like 40 pages. It's meant to be read in like 15 minutes. So for those people who, um, you know, like are ADD or just want like a quick brief thing. So yeah, you get at beardbrand.com. I think it's under the gear tab or something like that. And we've got a couple of the, couple of them you can buy for 10 bucks. Those are absolutely incredible. I'm going to be ordering that right away and I'm excited to dive into it. So awesome. thank you for living out those those rules today and being present and fully here with me. I admire the way you are able to back up your beliefs with action and your truth and clear thought about it. And I'm, uh, I'm really grateful for this conversation. So thank you for being here and where can people connect with you further? Yeah, well, first of all, the pleasure is all mine. I appreciate the great questions and the insightful uh, look and also uh, not being afraid to, uh, you know, toss some stones back uh, where needed. Um, my name is Eric Banholtz. I'm the only Eric Banholtz in the world. Uh, so if you Google me, you'll find me. But Twitter is, is probably the place that right now I spend the most amount of time until I find a way to uh, get kicked off the platform. <laughs> That's at Banholtz. And yep. you can follow him below. We'll link that up. Thank you for being here. And hopefully we'll do it again sometime yeah. soon. Yeah, I'd love to, man. Thank you for listening to this episode with Eric Bandholtz. If you enjoyed it, let me know on Twitter at HeyDannyMiranda. Also posting content on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. Trying to really spread myself to as many different places as I can. And that's at HeyDannyMiranda on all those avenues as well. Thank you for listening. And from the bottom of my heart, it means the world to me. 
that you would spend that hour and 15 with me. So thank you, and I will see you in the next episode. Peace.